0: Max Verstappen wins Red Bull Racing's 11th straight victory, but only after a resurgent McLaren gives him a run for his money off the line. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is round 10, the British Grand Prix. Silverstone featured another pole, victory, and fastest lap for Max Verstappen, but his sixth straight win this season wasn't quite like all the others. First, he lacked his usual massive pace advantage. Second, it was McLaren, not Aston Martin, Mercedes, or Ferrari that was his closest challenger. Lando Norris almost pinched pole and then did pinch the lead off the line. Even Oscar Piastri tried to get ahead of the Dutchman on the first lap. Verstappen eventually got back ahead and established a relatively modest lead, but McLaren had the pace for a comfortable double podium before a safety car got Lewis Hamilton ahead of Piastri. So what does this mean for the second half of the F1 season? To help answer the question, if this has changed F1 as we know it, behind Red Bull Racing and Max Verstappen, of course, I'm joined by deputy editor-in-chief of Auto Hebdo, Julian Billiot. Julian, welcome back to the Strategy Report.
1: Hi, mate. Good, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I don't know where you are <laughs> in, in the world. It's 7 a.m. in France. I've had two coffees, so I'm barely functioning. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I'm (laughs) delighted to be back uh, on the show with with you to talk all things F1. So, many thanks for the invitation.
0: Uh, Two coffees before 7 a.m. is doing very, very nicely. So, (laughs) I think people will be able to measure the speed of your voice as we get through the podcast increasing just gently and gradually. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had quite an interesting race at the British Grand Prix. Okay, we all know who won. We know who wins every week, really, in Formula 1. It's what happened behind that that I think was interesting but it was interesting as well the gap Max Verstappen had this weekend winning his 6th Grand Prix in a row Red Bull's 11th Grand Prix in a row my goodness it's only been 10 races this season but it's the 11th in a row it seemed reduced at Silverstone seemed reduced in qualifying and in the race now Silverstone's tended to give us pretty good races over the last couple of years. It's always looked a little bit more competitive. Is it just a fact of the circuit making it look like Red Bull's advantage was a little bit less than it normally is this weekend?
1: I believe so, and the track lay- layout just uh, makes it you know, uh, fun for for racing because the corners sort of opens and never really closes down, so you can have some 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 great action. And uh, it, it it was true that the the, the gaps were were closer, but if you look at qualifying, we had a, a wet to dry um, session, which is always, you know, can change the, the, the overall picture. But in the end, uh, you know, Max still managed to, to pull, uh, pull position. And, and during the race, even though he was, uh, he was overtaken by, by Lando and the pressure from, from Moscow early on, as you mentioned, they, they always little doubt that once the DRS, which is like a, I guess, necessary evil, I don't know. It's a, it's pretty bad in my opinion, but still, uh, you can see like even Lando didn't really put up a fight when when, uh, when Max came, came charging and and okay the the safety car had us a bit on on you know on the edge of our seats and we thought oh maybe there, there might be an opportunity but then I guess at the restart <laughs> the first lap Max was already two <laughs> seconds up the road uh, so he was out of the RS range from from Lando so little. Uh, a little suspense here, and uh, so um, you know, of course, the the gaps were were closer, but but there was no doubt. He, despite the the great start to the race, that you know Max, uh, barring any any reliability was going to be uh, was going to be the the winner once more. But as you mentioned, the most interesting part this year is is what is happening right behind him, because the picture keeps changing from from one week to another.
0: Yeah, and I'm something Max actually said after the race is that he's finding it confusing who he's racing every week. I guess racing is in inverted commas because yeah, exactly. he's not normally racing anyone. Yeah, exactly. but theoretically, who he might be racing week to week is always very interesting. This weekend it was McLaren. I guess largely surprising. We saw a little bit of a hint of this in Austria about a week ago, but Austria has always been a track Lando Norris has done very well at. Yes. Oscar without the upgrades at that track, didn't do as well. So it was really difficult to say, but there were no doubts about how well McLaren did this weekend. It was the second stage of their upgrade as well, and they have one more coming uh, in Budapest or before the end of the break in any case. Uh, Is it too early to try and make some somewhat definitive statements about where McLaren is now? I mean, we don't expect them to be second quickest everywhere, but is McLaren a front-running team now, do you think?
1: As you mentioned, it's really too too early to, to say because i remember in spain uh mercedes were, were super competitive and we thought okay mercedes is back uh, i guess charles Leclerc was second industry i keep you sometimes my memory gets fuzzy <laughs> there's so many races coming you know thick and fast uh, and you say okay ferrari have, have broken through and then you know earlier the year, oh aston martin is the second fastest so so the picture keeps changing from from one waste weekend to the other so for for this you know the second spot behind behind Max that it's it's impossible to say to be absolute and definitive when you say McLaren is the second fastest team or Aston or Ferrari. What is true, however, is that I look back at the results before, before our chat, and in Jeddah they were fifteenth and seventeenth. Lando Norris and uh, Piastri mm-hmm. and Lando Norris uh, they had a terrible start to the season, dreadful. I think they barely exited Q3, oh, Q1, sorry. I'm not even sure they exited Q1 in, in Bahrain. Uh, and, and, and the first races were, were absolutely, you know, a, a, really, really bad. Uh, and what is, in a normal year, the Formula 1 uh, I grew up with, you, you knew that once you were cooked at the first race, that the, the whole season was going to be a very long and painful one. And it seems that with I don't know if it's the new regulations or, or something else, but it seems like you can recover pretty quickly, which is which is amazing because Bahrain was like four months ago. Um, and, and and true McLaren had, had admitted very early on that you know they had they had missed the the cut with their with their new cars, so maybe the upgrades were already in the pipeline in, in February or January. Uh, but but still their recovery is impressive. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if uh, you know, later races, we'll see Aston coming back. I would see Ferrari uh, perform. I would see Mercedes as well, despite all teams gradually shifting their attentions towards uh, 2024, of course. Uh, So I'd say it's still, and I'm not sure we'll get a clear picture behind Max all year long. I think the the momentum will keep shifting uh, every year. every race, which is, you know, at least we have something to look forward to. <laughs> I've
0: been saying people should be putting a sticker over the first position on their televisions if they're getting bored of watching who's leading and just pretend uh, 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 that the exactly. number's are different.
1: Yeah, exactly. Checo Perez is making the sport. At least we're, we we don't have a Red Bull 1-2 every weekend. We mm. should have a Red Bull 1-2 every weekend if, if we were honest. But uh, thankfully, Checo, you know, I don't know, maybe he's, he's going for driver of the day every every weekend. <laughs> With his recovery from P15 or whatever to to P from three to to, to six, but uh, no, no, it's, uh, it's the the the, the fight for second place. And at some point, I still expect Max to to drop one because or Red Bull to drop one because the the the, the more races you get, just the probability of of them winning everything is it just gets. Uh, gets less because you know if, if we had a normal season like back in the day it was only 17 or 18 races I'd say okay they, they can put it off we were only like 10 races should be 11 or 12 if we had Imola and, and Shanghai um, but with 22 um, I still expect some point you know a poor start you get, collect, you get collected at the first uh, corner uh, or you, you have an issue like you had in, in qualifying in Jeddah like a with the engine or something else? So I think they, uh, we will see someone else win the race this year. I guess I mean someone else than, uh, who's not Checo, of course, but another uh, team. So, but uh to 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 come back. Long story short, I, I'm not sure McLaren will be at the front every weekend, but definitely they, they they are now in that in that group behind behind Red Bull, and they've already overtaking Alpine and they, 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 they will be... I don't see them catch Ferrari because the gap is quite big for fourth and the constructors, but for sure they'll be fighting for fifth and, and be able to fight for podiums at, at, at more races this year.
0: We'll get to what McLaren's performance maybe means for the rest of the grid a little bit later because there were some interesting parallels, like you say, with Alpine and even Mercedes in particular, I think. But to look at their race specifically uh, qualified second and third, as you said, did really, really good job off the line to, in fact, get one car ahead of Max Verstappen, even if just for a little bit, but then DRS'd their way behind him, the dreaded DRS, to build a little bit of a gap, which meant they were safe from undercut range. In the end, the safety car meant Lewis Hamilton was able to jump Oscar Piastri, otherwise looked like he was probably going to be safe. There was only really one moment of tension I guess in terms of the strategy point of view for McLaren and that was what tires they were going to put Lando Norris onto he was pretty adamant he didn't want the hard tires the team gave him the hard tires and in the end it kind of worked out all right although it's partly I guess because the McLaren seems to have pretty good straight line speed it's always interesting when you hear drivers and teams argue like we hear it a lot from Ferrari I guess and maybe for good reason we don't hear it a lot from McLaren because they're not often in this position do you think that because of the stakes, you know, a podium was up for grabs. There needs to be a little bit of development of trust between driver and, and strategist because they're so unused to doing this.
1: I, I must say I was, I was surprised by Lando's title call, I mean, from, from, from the team. And I thought first, I thought, oh, maybe they don't have any any subs available. You know, I don't know, in, because in, maybe in qualifying, they use too much or whatever. Already with Oscar, who pitted like three laps before the safety car, which ended up costing in the, the podium, unfortunately. Um, I was kind of on the fe- on the fence, but I thought, okay, you know, McLaren they need the points, they they, they could be targeting a double podium finish, so so they they, they, they went for the safe option with, with Oscar. We still had like twenty three laps, and since he started on mediums, you you, you couldn't put back a medium if you want to do if you wanted to do, do one stopper. So you had to go for the safe options apart. Um, but uh, with, uh, with Lando, I was, I was really surprised because I thought, okay, it's, it's fewer than 20 laps remaining after the safety car. Everyone else is, is switching to, to softs, And we saw with, with George Russell, we did 29 laps mm. from the softs from, from the beginning. I mean, different cars, you could say maybe the McLaren would eat up the tires more than, uh, uh, than the, the Mercedes and the, and the engineers knew it. But in, in the, For me, it was a, a 50-50 call. It's, like it, it's not a mistake or not a great call. If, if you keep the second position, you look like a genius. If, mm-hmm. if you drop it, you, you, you know, you're like zeros. But it, there was no wrong, wrong call, in my opinion, because so I double check. So Lendo had four scrub sets of softs available to him, so he could have put soft during the safety count. And, and, and the odds were not, were not working great you know, because some drivers had already switched to, to, to it. And then, but McLaren seemed seem confident. At least they were not flip-flopping like, like you hear too often, unfortunately, with, with Ferrari, with, when, when the driver asked, so what do we do? And they go, I get back to you, blah, blah, blah. It's like, what are you doing? You uh, should have clear-cut answers. At least Merce- uh, McLaren, they, they were adamant. They knew what they wanted to do. And um and we, we we've seen that with even with Lewis and Bono, after mm. so many years sometimes Lewis is not sure and he's he's oh, questioning the strategy. It's like, oh you put me on the wrong tire or blah blah blah. And then the, the the engineer. I think Lando has a new engineer because the voice was different compared to, to the one I was used to hearing. And um and uh, somebody sounded a bit annoyed like when they kept asking <laughs> do you think the tires could last or whatever? I was expecting a Kimi Riker and <laughs> sort of reply like leave me alone I know what to do or just let me drive uh, but um, in the end I think it was the the right call because obviously the restart was gonna be tough for two or three laps uh, but since you don't have the DRS once the once you have the safety car you, you need really to resist for for two two laps and we saw Lewis almost um, overtake uh, Lando uh, at some point but then once you go through that phase I, I think the soft peak super early and then you kind of have a drop-off and we saw that the, the, the end gap is like over three seconds so once you, you just have to weather the storm for a couple of, uh, of laps and uh, it shows that McLaren has trust in um, in Lando and also in Oscar to to be able to to manage that, that phase and uh, so, so in the end they made the right call but for me at the time so I was surprised, but I wouldn't say, okay, it's it's a mistake. It was 50-50, and he, if he had put soft, it would have been, let's say, a good, a good decision as well. Sometimes there is no clear right answer or clear wrong answers when you are you know, in that in that phase. If it were only, I know, five laps remaining, okay, you put soft. Mm. But now with, with 18 or 19, I understand why they did it, because the soft, if, if they start to drop off, then you are really, you could be in trouble. So, uh, in, in the end, it's, uh, it was the right decision. As you mentioned, yeah, uh, you, you, need, you need to build trust, but you need to have, when you ask a question, you need to get like, a proper answer for, from the team. And I know it's difficult. I spoke recently with for for, for Not to Hebdo project with with Kim, his former engineer, Julien uh, Simon-Chotan, Chauton, is now doing it. Uh, F one TV and Canal Plus as a consultant, and he says sometimes you have so many data, everything is happening at the same time, so it's hard for the engineers to just to process everything. You have so many contra- contradictory messages in your earphones. So, but it, it's true that it helps that the, the, the instructions you you give out to the drivers, it must be you you must be confident and clear and not show some hesitation. Which again, I'm, so, I'm sorry to 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 just <laughs> to bang on Ferrari, but it seems like every time the the drivers is like, we, we saw it with Carlos Sainz there. Oh, mm. you know, it was almost like, do whatever you sorry, apologies for the language. Just do whatever you need to do. Whereas Carlos sometimes used to be someone lobbying for his strategy because he's a he's a very clever guy. And you can see like, this thing was like, okay, just, I'll do whatever you want guys. You, so, it's um it's a strange situation at ferrari but at mclaren they they were no hesitation you know was always we stick to Hards. we need to have uh, the Hards Hards are the better option and everything and sometimes you trust you can't trust too much the data and not not rely on the driver's feedback which i um, personally like when, when they you know you go through the the drivers in the end they are the other one driving the car uh but uh, in that situation i think they they they, they manage the situation perfectly
0: Interesting to consider as well that part of the decision making ended up being that the decision was made during a virtual safety car and then it became an actual safety car and I feel like that happens increasingly often now in Formula 1 whether it's because race control wants to give itself a bit of time to decide what the best option is but it does mean that it can affect decisions like this ultimately it ended up being a good call and it meant as well McLaren you know, could have potentially tried to switch to softs very last minute but probably would have lost time in pit lane getting them ready it would have looked silly so at least a commitment like you say is often just better than dithering or you know hesitating and waiting so they committed trusting the driver can do the job both drivers on the hards and they managed to secure what was still a pretty good result up to fifth in the constructors standings now and i think that's really interesting you touched on a couple of different teams there and i think mclaren's performance relative to them is what makes it really interesting i mean let's just briefly touch on alpine here i suppose before we look at some other strategies hi listeners we wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from evergreen podcasts and sound talent media called pit lane parlay Another double DNF for this team, the second one or the third one of the year, I think it is. Uh, one unreliability, one Lance Stroll problem, which, okay, not Pierre Gasly's fault. That can happen when you're racing the Lance Stroll sometimes, unfortunately. But, I mean, it must be felt most keenly at Alpine, the fact that it looks like McLaren's taken a big step forward. How much does you know this big upgrade, and you mentioned it earlier, Aston Martin's done it now, McLaren's done it under these rules. How much does this big jump hurt a team like Alpine that's talking about plans to move to the front in three race uh, three seasons or four seasons time.
1: It makes Alpine's woo's or even more even more painful because it feels like no matter what is happening, Alpine's like ceiling is finishing P seven or or, or P eight. And I know they had a, a great run at Monaco but Monaco is such a specific track and, and you can't really overtake so if you qualify well you pretty much guaranteed uh, to get a, a strong result. But apart from that their season has been has been pretty poor and, and disappointing. And the the thing that is even more painful for them is the way they they handle the situation off track because I remember over the winter McLaren right away said, Okay, we, we we have messed you know, we've missed our targets and the car that will stop the season will would not be good and they they say goodbye to James Key. So they were not afraid to, to take big all decisions and you'll know, be decisive just like they did with their strategy at sealstone whereas alpine was like i don't know it sounded like french content oh mm-hmm. you know, we hit our targets we will get closer to the top three who finished p4 last year which was great results despite a terrible without know, ability that probably pushed <laughs> fernando alonso away among other things but it it felt like and I remember Esteban, Ocon, Esteban Ocon's uh, interviews during during the launch of the A523. You know, like oh, the car is, is so much better than last year. It's like a different world. Like, you know, he said something almost. I, I double checked because I wasn't sure. But he said, oh, it's almost like we don't need to do winter testing. The car is so good that we, you know, it's like a different world. I'm like, okay, okay, but which, which is uh, I li- I like that. But when you have that kind of Statement. Then you need to deliver. You know, he, he, it's like Zlatan in football. Zlatan has a big mouth, but Zlatan <laughs> on the pitch is delivering in and out. I mean, now he's retired, but you know, he say I'm the I'm the greatest. But when he's on the pitch, he's doing great things and, and, and very entertaining. Alpin is like, oh, we all, all our targets would get closer to top three, and then you show up and you're like, okay, you're still the fifth fastest, or you've actually. Uh, it's us tumble down the, the pecking order and you, you're not the, the, the fourth fastest team, you you more like the fifth fastest in sort of a no-man's land until McLaren's recovery and now you're like the sixth fastest team. Um, you make mistakes in, um, in pit stops, or how many penalties they've had mm. this year. I remember Bahrain was was a joke, Austria, uh, Ocon had like 35 seconds penalty, which is almost unheard mm. of. Uh, and... and, and the their reliability has been has been again fairly poor it really was last year so it's just it's a very bad look for Alpine when you have teams like, like McLaren or Aston over the winter making such a huge jump and, and you spend all winter saying we we'll have hit all our targets we will get closer to the front and then you know you, and, and the, the thing is they, they kept saying that they say, oh, if you look at the at the gaps oh, the, the gaps are close. Yeah, but the gaps are closer for everyone. It, it's not like okay, maybe if you take the the overall the overall picture, you've come closer to the the I say the, the the very top. But in the meantime, you've been overtaking by two or three other teams. So it performance in Formula One is always relative to to other. You you could have let's say find you could have found, sorry, half a second. If, if the others have found a whole second, you you, you know, you, you may have moved forward, but at a at a slower pace compared to, to your rivals, you end up in the, you know, in the constructor championship suffering from it. So it's, uh, Alpine season has been bad on track, but also off track. I remember in Monaco, so after, so, so Laurent Rossi, the CEO of the brand had a big, uh, you know, he had a big interview in Miami where he called called out the team like in a big, big spot, which in a way was kind of a re- refreshing. At least it was not hiding behind a mm-hmm. rock. He, he said that they were, you know, and stuff like a maturation stuff. that. So very strong work, mm-hmm. even in French, uh, because sometimes it sounds worse in English than in French, but in French it was also pretty, pretty <laughs> strong. You say, like almost they were having a jolly at the, mm-hmm. the track. You say that, it, it, you know, he, he kind of say that. And then Monaco happened. So you say, okay, look, you know, uh, I just, <laughs> I, had a, I had a big, uh, a big argument with, with everyone and, and the team has reacted. And I remember instead of saying, okay, let's be safe. It's Monaco, blah, blah, blah. Some interviews I remember from Monaco were like, oh no, you know, I expect us in Barcelona to to be equally good and to be ahead of Ferrari and Mercedes and then you show up in Barcelona and you're like P9 or P8 again and Mercedes had a big jump the thing is they never learned they're like you, you, sometimes you just have to keep a low profile and until you deliver on track don't start talking and uh, announcing crazy stuff Laurent Rossi and his now infamous uh, 100 Grand Prix plan which is now 120 Grand Prix and maybe by the end of the year we <laughs> will be a 200 Grand Prix plan I don't know it gives that the targets at Alpine just keep being delayed every year. The the, the team has been back in F one for almost ten years now, and the, you know it feels like the it's a moving target. So it's uh, it's uh, it's a pretty bad look when you have a team like McLaren, which is able to to recover in in only four or five months, and, uh, and a team at Alpine which is just just, I don't know, standing still, really.
0: It doesn't. It's not a good look for them. and It'll be interesting to see, I guess, points-wise in the Constructors' Championship. Obviously, they are behind now, but then also how big that gap might grow if McLaren's step forward does end up being permanent fundamentally for the rest of this season. It'll be really interesting. Interesting, too, for Ferrari and Mercedes. Now, the gap is pretty big for McLaren, so it seems pretty unlikely they're going to catch them. But in terms of pure pace... McLaren might be quick enough to decide what order those teams finish in in the Constructors' standings purely by just getting in the way. Fundamentally, that's what we saw in Silverstone, in part. Um, let's start with Ferrari, though, looking at this one, because they just had such a strange approach to this whole weekend. You know, There's a bit of optimism after the last couple of races that things were improving at Ferrari after their upgrades, felt like cars car was a bit more consistent, like the tyre was a little bit better. Then they rocked up here, decent in qualifying. You know, Charles Leclerc probably could have been on the front row had he not made a mistake on his last lap and they weren't too far off. But then in the race, just was so conservative, you know, kept a very slow pace, went straight for the hard tyre, were behaving essentially like witches' hats on the road for Mercedes and eventually Sergio Perez to pass them. I mean, does it make it too hard to judge the car's true pace after a race like this? Is it all just a bad approach again from Ferrari this weekend?
1: I think for me it's a, it's a bit of both is that they were they were scared of because they have been beaten so bad this year by tire wear and the car being unpredictable and unstable, and so I think and Charles missed the FP2 with the uh, electrical problem. I don't know if it had anything to do with Mattia Binotto. The <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> they had a, they had a fallout they had a big fallout last year at that, at that track. That's probably the, 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 the start of the end for, for Mattia Ferrari, remember, with the strategy and Carlos winning the race and, and Charles again being a bit, you know, left out uh, by, the, by the strategy. Uh, but no, the joking aside, I think they were, they are like they are seeing ghosts. You know that, that's why say, oh my god, we maybe we because they pitted so early. We shots, I was like, what are you doing? And you have, uh, all, all the others just almost went past the um, the, the the halfway mark. Uh, even George Russell started on, on South, did twenty nine laps, and then they stopped, I remember I had the lap, look there, eighteenth, eighteenth. So, which is like ten laps before pretty much everyone, and they started on mediums like like most uh, most guys. So, I was I was really surprised by that. And uh, but I guess it's just because they were not confident. Um, especially with, with Charles' car having missed the FP two, they don't know how the tires would be able or, or, or the long run. Maybe they tried a, a two stopper and an aggressive strategy. It feels like they, as you mentioned, the the approach was not was not the right one because again they, they had bad memories from, from earlier races where, where tire wear had been has been pretty terrible and the car unstable and he, he it all became a sort of a perfect storm of you know strategy being super let's say super vague and not not decisive and unlike, unlike other teams and everything conspired for them to we ended up just on the fringes of the top ten with the safety car as well. Carlos Sainz asking for words, say, guys, what do we do? And then they were left, you know, it's just indecisive. Uh, uh, so I, I don't know. I expect Ferrari to be to be strong at some races or some weekends, and others be like back to their uh, to their woes, really, like like we saw. Uh, the la- last weekend previous weekend Austria week was uh, was fairly strong Charles in uh, in the podium the shotzo has always been good in, in Austria has to attract likes he also likes Silverstone and then we shouldn't qualify he mentioned sure he could have been on the front row and uh, I agree uh, but they were quite confident after quality you know p P4 P5 it's in a year like like 2023 it's it's a fairly decent result for for Ferrari but in the race they were like' it's, it's like Every everything that, that could go wrong, has gone wrong. I mean, they still managed to finish with, with the two cars, but it's just, it's a, it's a mixture of everything. The car is not great. Definitely, the car is, is a massive step back compared to last year. And I, I fear that they had a, a small window of opportunity last year to to finally end their title or championship draft. And it, it feels like the way, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong for the Tifosis, but I feel like until 2026, Ferrari would not be able. It's like okay, we're we're back to another long period of, of little hope for 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 I,
0: I don't think that's too unfair of a call. I mean, it feels like Ferrari is struggling a lot, even to understand what it has from its car. You know, you talk about those early tire changes. I understand why Ferrari would be worried about high tire wear. That's been the story of the whole season, pretty much for the car. But you know there were signs, just the cooler conditions, for example, and George Russell being able to start on soft tyres, that the the race was going to be less aggressive for tyre wear, and that maybe the car still is a little bit better on its tyres since it was upgraded. It's hard to say, obviously, because we've had so few races and they played their hand so conservatively this weekend. But it just feels like there's a lot of uncertainty there, similar to Mercedes, I guess. You know they've had their big upgrade in the last month or two. In in Monaco it was, and as you mentioned in Barcelona it looked good. But now they're starting to you know, they creep in this feeling that, well, actually at some tracks it's not that good and I think we just need to think about next year. It's 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 a lack of decisiveness or understanding, I think, that makes this season so interesting. And I mean Aston Martin for the last two rounds have been nowhere as well. Like it's it's really changeable and it's very interesting that it seems like all these teams aren't fully on top of, of what their cars are. Um but it does does make it interesting. There's one more point I want to get to before we wrap this one up and that is the second red bull car will finish i guess where we started and that was sergio perez now his recovery was harmed a little bit by the timing of that safety car he'd also already made his pit stop and you can kind of understand i guess why they'd stop perez early he was going for an aggressive strategy to to, to make up places so that kind of makes sense whereas hamilton stayed out to get the safety car and that made sense for him but you know qualifying is his problem at the moment isn't it you know it's he's giving himself too much work to do and he was sent to the end of the pit lane in, in Q1 when it was cold and wet. His tyres lost temperature. It's not the only reason he didn't make it through Q1 because other drivers did. But do you think the team needs to take a bit more responsibility for helping build up his confidence or is he almost a bit of a, a, a spiral and a lost cause at this point?
1: I mean, Checo is like 33. He's been there for 12 years. He's had so many race starts. He's won many Grand Prix and... I'm really surprised by the fact that he's not able to just uh, bring everything together in, in qualifying. So okay, uh, as you mentioned, so the the conditions in quali were a bit uncertain, from wet to to dry, and, and, and in that uh, sort of circumstances, it's always like the last man uh, taking the checkered flagways always will get the fastest lap. So. And at some point, I think Perez was like second fastest or almost fastest in, in, in Q1. Yeah, he was fastest in, in Q1. And then, and then the, the times just uh, tumbled down. But for me, this, this is on the team. Like you need to, you should be able to, to making like say, uh, I think Gasly crossed the line like with two seconds left before his, his final fire and managed to be third fastest in the end or something like that. Or, or at least comfortably in, in, in Q2. So for, for me, the timing here was, yeah, on on, on the team. But when you hear, oh, the team needs to help him build confidence, it sounds like he's not Pierre Gasly in 2018, he's not Alex Albon in 2020. I mean, Checo Perez has, has a, a wealth of experience. So he should be able to, to handle that kind of uh, that kind of things. So the, the team doesn't need to, to build his confidence. Uh, I'm just yeah. I don't. know what's happening. the The, the thing is, it feels at Red Bull that the car is set up and and designed and everything is made for Max, and which I can understand because the guy is just is just pure fire and, and a rocket, and, and he delivers week in week out. But even a guy like I, I'm sure if someone I'm not sure someone else can actually perform. Like decently against against Max in, in that configuration in that team with with a car properly set up and designed for him it's so I think the setup is so extreme at Red Bull that you know it's it's only it's tailor made for Max and Max only so I don't want to yeah I don't want to pile down on Checo too much even though he, he should be on the podium every let's say every uh, every weekend and Red Bull should be yeah. I mean securing one Tuesday at, at every race pretty much. Uh, but it feels like it's, it's not I'm not sure like someone like Daniel Ricardo, which is of interest for, for for you guys in Australia, I'm not sure he would be doing any any better. I, I'm not sure anyone else on the grid would do even even Hamilton or or Norris, I know they his friend with, with Max. He, he I feel like everyone else will look terrible next to that because the, the the team revolves around him. The car is set up for, for for his liking. So, and and this is going back to your questions. This is the team's responsibility, but more in the, in, in that sense that they need maybe to 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 accommodate uh, the f- <laughs> to understand that, that Formula One, despite being you know a a not n- they always say it's a team sport, but in the end you only have you know, it's it's one driver, it's one driver against uh nineteen other drivers. And um, but they need to, 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 to bear in mind that they have two cars and maybe they, they they can accommodate for 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 Checo a bit more, but but when you see Max's success and, and the car I mean he he's leading the constructors championship by fifty two points <laughs> on his own. So you could argue that you know Checo is like it's like you know, luxury or old <laughs> whole So, And you could put anyone else next next to Max, they still win both championship because the car is so good and Max is so good as well. I, I mean, uh, maybe I've been, I've sounded too critical, but Max is doing a fantastic job. Max is a fantastic driver, one of the best in, the, in ever. And someone I really like to, to watch, very entertaining. Uh, very entertaining. Also, off track when, when he when he wants to say something spicy. So <clears throat> I don't want I don't want to blame Max uh, for for sort of the lack of interest or the lack of suspense in in, uh, in Grand Prix racing in, in 22 and 23. But um, yeah, very very bizarre. It feels like. Um, I don't know if, if, if you can use that in Formula One, but in other sports we have something called the yips. Mm. Like I don't know, you, do you have that in Australia or yeah, yeah? It's, it's like oh, oh, in French we say the fear of uh, of winning, which is, we sound super French. The fear of winning. <laughs> uh, we, we, we 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 prefer losing with, with flair and panache, uh, but the fear <laughs> the fear of winning is like everyone expects you expect you to win or at least to be P two every weekend, and then you start. To, you know, to gradually say crumble under the pressure and the, the expectations, and even even someone like Checo, and then you have the journalist at him so "Oh, why? You know, how come you you don't qualify for Q 3 And then you have always someone going to Elmo Marco who says, mm. "You know, always friendly stuff to you, <laughs> like uh, his head is not in the right place or whatever." Or he talks too much about the championship or whatever. So it, it's a very very difficult environment, Red Bull. A, you know and it's tailor stalemate for Max because Max is a ruthless um, competitor so he he can yeah. you know thrive in the in that environment but anyone else is, is will struggle but it's I don't know it feels like the self-fulfilling prophecy used like every weekend now everyone expects Checo to not go into Q3 and maybe I don't know unconsciously maybe Checo puts too, too much pressure on himself he's like oh it's like you have an open goal and you still miss the the goal because you're like man it's so easy it's supposed to be it should be so easy and yet uh, I still still fail so it's but I'm sure it's a phase and after the summer break he'll come back and he'll score podiums and he'll probably score a couple more wins when when Max is not there for for any any reasons but it's true that it's a a very let's say head-scratching uh He's the chick he's
0: yeah, we'll wait and see. a lot of people will be happy to see him bounce back. Not least Red Bull, I suppose, because if Max is going to have a reliability problem or whatever, they need someone to keep that winning streak alive, don't they? Yeah, they want
1: to. They want to beat McLarens. Uh, yeah, they've just equalled them. Although McLaren was so eleven in the same season '98. Uh, so maybe. maybe in 15 or 20 years' time, we look back. And say, I'll remember the great years of Red Bull winning everything. <laughs> it's just like we do now. I'll remember. But I yeah. guess we look we look back fondly at McLaren because you had Senna and Prost, mm. so and yes. it was a proper proper fight. Now it's only Max and, and Max. And that's it. <laughs>
0: Makes a difference, does make a difference, uh, but who knows what the second half of the year has in store? Maybe some of the other teams will catch up, but that's only because the Red Bull will be looking at next year anyway. So yeah, it's a bit of a double-edged. I don't, game.
1: I don't, I don't expect that at all. I feel like you know they they, they want to go and have twenty two wins out of twenty two races. They they want which which could be something. The only, I mean, the only uh they really think to look forward is like at some point you get from okay oh it's boring max is winning every weekend to oh he's winning every weekend could he go the whole way like yes, we saw
0: completely agree
1: like in mclaren they 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 won in 88 15 races out of 16 and there was that famous italian grand prix the one month after enzo ferrari's death and, and, and Senna tripping over back and then ferrari had a one-two so uh, as you go closer the 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 stakes will get higher and you will have that that, that tension and and pressure unless unless they, they they drop one like it here before the summer break but if they stay let's say unbeaten until the summer break that that would be a, at least something to look forward to over the second half of the year.
0: Completely agree. At some point, even people who don't want domination start supporting domination for a perverse reason. Just yeah, to exactly. See it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just to see, okay, is something okay? W- when is the streak going to end? You you're actually watching to see them, uh, not not to see them fail, but to see, okay, this is greatness actually under their eyes, which uh, should be more appreciative. But you know, as journalists, we, we always complain about everything, or maybe it's only French journalists. I don't know. But uh, no, it's uh, I mean, that's off that's up to Max and Red Bull and. Uh, and if they were to win 22 races, then, then, then so be it. Then it would be you know, something crazy to, to document and witness.
0: It would be incredible to see. We are edging closer to that. But for now, just another win for Max. Six in a row, 11 or 10 in a row for this season anyway. And they'll be going for the 12 before the mid-season break. Julian, it was great to catch up and talk about the British Grand Prix with you.
1: Well, thank you very much again for your invitation. And uh, yeah, it always always a pleasure to talk uh, more things than one uh, with you, Michael.
0: McLaren isn't about to change the outcome of the 2023 title. It might not even be a regular podium contender this season. But if it's made the jump into the front-running pack behind Red Bull Racing in the same season Aston Martin's done the same, it'll confirm we're experiencing something of a paradigm shift in how much teams can expect to gain in a single year. It's a fascinating idea, and thanks very much to Julian for joining me to discuss it. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mobile podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you in a couple of weeks for the Hungarian Grand Prix.